0: You are listening to a White Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Thank you for letting uh, me and the board take time to, to do that. And uh, I hope that it helps you be a little more informed of what God is up to in our midst. Well, it's clear that James in the Bible, when he opens, we open this little letter at the end of the New Testament, it's clear that James is writing to Christians, and the reason I say that is because just the other day I I counted nineteen times in five chapters only that that James says brothers, and if if I thought if you thought that that's kind of the universal generic word of a brother, he even specifies what he means by brother or brothers when he says in chapter two and verse one he says. I mean all believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So he's really talking about brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. He opens his letter by teaching Christians that trials and temptations come at us in many forms and that God uses them to test our faith and strengthen us so that we might grow in wisdom and in maturity. That's God's goal for our lives. And we need to distinguish, as we talked about last week, as James does as well, that God is the author of trials and testings, but God is never the source of our temptations that come our way. God may try us, but he never entices us. James makes it clear that the enticement towards sin comes from our own evil desires that live within our hearts And to say that God is in control of all things is not the same as saying that he is the author or source of all things. And I hope that is a distinction that we clarify even from the book of James. Before we move ahead today in the scripture that we're going to look at, I'd like us to pick up the context that verses 1 to 18 leave us with. In verses 13 to 15 of James chapter 1, He has been talking about sin and temptation in the believer's life. And um, what does it look like? Sin is not a subject that um, even in evangelical churches we talk about as much anymore. And that's to our detriment. We should be talked up, prayed up, thought up on any matter that is in God's word. Because that's what God thinks and talks and is all about. So we should be all about whatever God is all about. And sin is a huge subject uh, in the scriptures. So we must not uh, minimize it. Uh, We have to understand sin if we're going to have any understanding of what salvation is. I read uh, recently about a psychologist who who made a rather uh, bold confession. Uh, He said this, For several decades, we psychologists looked, uh, looked upon the whole matter of sin and moral accountability as a great incubus, like a demon, and acclaimed our liberation from it as epoch-making. But at length we have discovered that to be free in this sense, that is, to have the excuse of being sick rather than sinful, is to court the danger of also being lost. I think those are very wise words. Indeed, there are a host of lost people today being diagnosed and labeled in a whole variety of ways. And often the very source of the malady, the very source of the sickness, is a sin-diseased heart and soul. And it's being labeled with something else. But its root is a sin-diseased soul that only Jesus Christ can wash away. Only Jesus Christ can make whole. It's a simple message, but it's the core of the message of this book, the Scriptures. And as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a strong temptation to to, to buy into the redefinitions, to buy into the, the things that are being redefined in the giving up of anything that's called sinful. We need to be so wary, so careful about what we think. And in so doing, we not only lose the power of the gospel, which is the power to set people truly free, but we also lose the uniqueness of being, in the words of Paul, children of God in a crooked and depraved generation in which we are supposed to shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. I fear that. I fear that we we see that that slippery slope just, Picking up speed as we go down downhill and, and we're adopting the mindset on so many fronts and redefining sickness instead of calling things sin. Now please do not hear me saying that all things being diagnosed and redefined today are categorically wrong and sin is the reason we suffer or some silly thing like that. I am not suggesting that. Anytime I make general statements like this, it's dangerous, I suppose. But what I am saying is this. I'm saying that an essential part of the salvation of our souls is wrestling with the reality of sin that will be in and upon this body until the day it's laid in the grave. For believers and unbelievers, the reality of real personal sin will harass us no matter how spiritually mature you grow. You will wrestle with sin in this body until the day you die. If you do not learn to wrestle, theologize, work out and understand that you will be a victim of the one that wants to bring your faith down. The recognition of its power and mastery over us. The appearing daily at the throne of grace where we receive mercy in our time of need is an essential part of who we are as a redeemed community. It's essential that you are familiar with the subject of sin, your own sin, as well as sin as it's defined more generally in Scripture. We betray our redemption from sin if we do not take sin seriously. It was said of Martin Luther that when he went to bed, he would have one part of the Lord's Prayer on his mind, and when he woke up in the morning, he would have another part of the Lord's Prayer on his mind. It said that that he would go to bed at night praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the next morning he would wake up and pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, the knowledge of the holy and the knowledge of our own sin are two very important pieces of reality that make us to keep short accounts with God and escape the temptations that are going to bring us down. So how do we as followers of Christ overcome sin? How do we overcome temptation according to the letter that we see James writing in chapter 1? And he says that we do so by humbly receiving the word that is planted in us. So, would you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1? And let's just take a look at a couple of verses that are going to define for James how it is that as believers we can actually persevere through the temptation and overcome. You see, because every time there's a temptation, somebody's going to fall. And if you overcome the temptation, Satan falls. And if you don't overcome the temptation, then you fall. And the interesting thing is that when we see Christ being tempted, Every time in the New Testament we see Christ being tempted, he withstood, he overcome, Satan fell. But when we as believers do not overcome, we're the ones that fall. Jesus in us, the word of God planted in us, is meant to be that source of power to overcome. So would you turn James chapter 1 and beginning with verse 19. And if you are able to stand and want to join me now, standing to hear God's word read. It says in chapter 119, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's good for today. Let's sit down. Thank you. I've entitled the message Wisdom in Word and Deed for what James is addressing is a path to wisdom that helps us overcome sin and the path is lit by this word of God that is a lamp unto our feet. Now I studied this passage this week and I have to admit that after having been a pastor for a long time I got a new understanding I think of this passage that had escaped me in the past. I always looked at this verse 19 And I always thought that it's just kind of like a proverb. It's kind of like this little pithy, direct quotation of wisdom. That's just practical, common sense wisdom. It's good to be quick to listen. It's good to be slow to speak. And it's good if you are slow to become angry. And I just kind of interpreted that on the horizontal plane as if that's really what it's all about. But as I looked at the entire context, I realized that God is saying this with reference to how we receive the word of God implanted within us as new believers in Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, as I studied it, I realized that that, um, it's not just the idea that we have two ears, so we should listen twice as much as we talk, and uh, that's all good common wisdom. But it's more to do with the fact that this book... And our interaction with with it is key to how we overcome and accept. So, what would it be redefined as? How could we describe quick to listen? Quick to listen, I believe, in this context means being quick to hear what God teaches us through his word. Eager to accept it. Quick to to understand it, arguing not with it but ob- or objecting to it. It's actually meaning this idea of being hungry to hear what God has to say and quick to hear it rather than um, denying opportunities to hear it through a sermon, a good book, rather than omitting that time of reading the Bible on a daily basis. Rather that, than that, you're quick to listen to it. You're quick to it. You want to study it, meditate on it, talk about it. And slow to speak has this meaning of not rushing into judgments about what it says and then spouting off to somebody else. This is what I think it says. It means not coming to conclusion of your beliefs through a cursory reading of a few verses here and there. Not proof texting. It means also holding back judgment on somebody's teaching that you've heard just because it just doesn't seem to line up with what you believe the Bible teaches. Essentially, it means being slow to speak for God and and speak uh, about what you think He means because you're, you're receiving from Him. It's still growing in you. You haven't got a perfect doctrine yet. And then thirdly, this slow to become angry in the context, I think, has to do with the idea of that when the Word of God lands on you, when Scripture or some piece of wisdom that's re-identifying or rewording scripture lands on you. You're not angry. You're not rejecting. You're not redefining. You're receiving it. You're able to take it in the, on the chin and not angry at God. You're humble enough to receive what God is saying. And why? Because in verse 20, because man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life, that life that doesn't fall into temptation, you're, you're able to receive it. So what is James teaching about temptation? I think he's teaching that overcoming sin and temptation is not primarily about resisting in the moment of temptation, but it's more about the depth of your resolve to live according to this book. Quick to listen to it, slow to form your biases and opinions about it, and slow to get angry if it confronts you. Uh, James writes that God, our Father, has given us spiritual birth through the word of truth, and it's going to be then planted in us so that we can be having that overcoming power. If you put it another way, overcoming temptation is more about is more about the sins of omission than the sins of commission. We think that when it comes to temptation and sin, we're just in the sins of commission realm. I committed that sin, I commit that sin. But really, overcoming sin according to James has more to do with the sins of omitting and what you don't do. I, was, I read a, a quote from C.S. Lewis's book, *The Screwtape Letters*. You know that that discussion between Screwtape, who's the master devil, and Wormwood, his little apprentice demon. And he says this at one point uh, to his little demon: He says, "It is funny how mortals always picture us demons as putting things into their minds, when in reality, our best work is done by." keeping things out of their minds, such as Scripture, prayer, and contentment. Interesting, eh? You see, you see, it's more about what you're not obsessing over that you should be concerned about than what you are obsessing over. And this is absolutely consistent with the Paul, the, Paul's uh, theology as he writes in Galatians chapter 5.16. Says, he says, So I, lay, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You see, all your efforts should be worked on living by the Spirit, and then you won't have to worry about fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. But you see, what is the human tendency is, is to try and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, and we work in our human energy trying not to, thinking that if I don't do those things, then I must be walking in the Spirit. And Paul says, no, no, no. Focus on living in the Spirit. Occupy your head with God's Word. Be in prayer. Obey. Get in fellowship. Be about living in the Spirit. And guess what? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see how we get it wrong. It's all about our obsessions. We cannot be obsessed over God's Word and God Himself and His beauty and then somehow think that we will also be fanatically obsessive about sin or anything under the category of sin. The word translated filth in this passage, it's filth in the NIV anyway, uh, in verse 21. it—it uh, It is a medical term. This is kind of gross, uh, so prepare yourselves. Uh, no, this is, it, it's its referring to the wax in your ears. Interesting, eh? It's a medical term, this filth, that gets in your ears. I don't know if you've ever gone to the doctor and got your ears cleaned out, but but that's what James is saying. He's saying that that you should get rid of the filth that's in your ears. You can't hear God's word because the filth has accumulated in your ears. That's what he's referring to, I think, in this passage. And so we get plugged up with all the worldly pursuits and entertainments. And, and they plug up our spiritual ears so we cannot even hear. We don't even have... It's not just we don't even... Uh, It's not that we don't maybe expose ourselves, but we cannot hear. So we hear a sermon like you're hearing the sermon this morning, but the Holy Spirit is not going to get through your spiritual ears to penetrate into your heart to make a transformative difference in you. And you say, well, I, I sit through church every Sunday. I listen to the sermons. But you see, if you've clogged your ears all week long with worldly filth and stuff that's it's wax built up, it's not letting the word of God cleanly come through, so that you can hear the message of what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you about living a righteous life. And you're more vulnerable to fall into temptation. You should be we, in the, in the, in the physical realm. If we stopped having hearing, we'd be concerned. We'd go to doctors and get hearing aids and figure that out. If we were to stop having an appetite, that's a major sign for doctors. something wrong if you're not eating. Um, well, we should be similarly in spiritual realms if we're not hearing, if we're not having an appetite for God things. We should go to God and say, God, Lord, I, need, I need to hunger. At, Lord, put that upon me. James is talking about having a, a, a desire to hear and the ability. Then the word that's referred to as accept the word planted in you. And some passages we say, have the term received. You know what? That's exactly the same term in other portions of the New Testament for the word hospitality. He's saying, he's saying that instead of having your wax build up, not letting you hear, you actually should be like hospitable to the word of God. To the truth, the word that's planted in you, you should accept it, receive it, be hospitable, welcome the word of God. Every chance you get on the radio in in your private time, hide it in your heart, regurgitate it all day long. It should be like a a welcome guest in your home. And you think about that, if if you've ever had somebody visit you that's been away for ages... And they've come back and they're visiting you. You know, you just sit them down in your living room and you want to hear how are things going on in India or in Bolivia or in Garden Hill or or wherever it is of interest to you. How are the relatives in Europe or whatever the case may be? You know, you sit them down and you're eager. You're quick to listen. You're slow to speak. And guess what? If they walked in with dirty boots on your rug, they're not, you're not going to get angry because you're just so excited. You're hospitable. You're wanting to receive what they have to say. That's the, that's the posture of the believer that we should have with the Word of God. Interesting, isn't it? There's a devotional uh, in the book that we're handing out for Father's Day. I was reading it yesterday, and there's one that uh, talks about, about uh, the sports analogy of disciplining yourself to do the thing that you already know how to do, but you do it over and over and over and over again so that when the, the moment comes for that perfect setup, you do it instinctively. And that's the kind of attitude that we should have with regards to Scripture. We, just, we read God's Word. We discipline ourselves to consume it. It's, it's welcome in our hearts and our lives. And when the day of evil comes of temptation, it's just instinctive to respond with, now, I see what you're doing, devil. And then you speak in the name of Jesus as Jesus overcame the devil in the wilderness through the word of God. Well, verses 19 to 21 are prescriptive. And uh, the prescription is is, in order to help us live the righteous life, and then he goes on in verses 22 and to 27. We don't have time to look at it very deeply, but he goes on to say, now here's what happens if you take the prescription. Can you imagine going to a doctor and uh, him writing on a prescription? And you go to the pharmacy and you get the prescription. Three months later, you go back to the doctor and, and you say, doc, I still have this problem, you know. And he says, well, did you get the prescription? And you say, yeah, I got the prescription. Well, have you been taking it? Oh, no, I haven't been taking it. And that's what—that's basically. What, I know it's really silly, eh? but it's basically what James is saying when he says, "Don't just be hearers of the word; be doers of word. It's just as stupid to hear God's word and know that that's the path of wisdom and this is the path of error and foolishness. It's just as foolish to to uh, to not follow God's prescription as it is to not follow your doctor's. So apply it. When we look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and life, we see two things. We see the sinless character of Christ, and we see our own filth. And those two have to come together. Those two have to come together. That's a, that's a breathing in and out. That's why we have things like breathing, I think. Sometimes God just saying, get, get rid of the bad and breathe in the good. Get into the word and you see Christ and his beauty, his righteousness. And you see yourself and you just think, just like looking in the mirror, don't look too good. God, help me. And then you, you actually receive that transaction on a daily basis. You say, Jesus, you make me more like you. Through that sanctifying word that I meditate on and I memorize, make me more like you. That's what Jesus does. As we get ready to sing a, a song again to conclude the service, I, I want to remind you of, of all that you have for you, Christian. Jesus resisted Satan's temptation by quoting the word of God. And um, he stored it in his heart and he, he resisted the devil. Adam and Eve fell to temptation by misquoting the scriptures. The devil tried and tried but found no opening, no foothold in Christ's life, though he through which he, he might enter. But we cannot say the same about ourselves. You and I know, if you're honest with yourself, you know the footholds. You know the areas of weakness, you know the places of temptation. And 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 he can find, like a thief in the night, he comes and he he finds that we've left a window open or a door ajar. And we're we're then preyed on him by him. And uh By the power of Christ and his word, windows and doors can be shut. Uh, May God lead us to be vigilant. I have to ask the question as we conclude. I have to ask the question. How are we doing with the word of God? Has it made its home in our lives? Sixty years ago, Alan Redpath wrote this. He said, we're living in an age, sixty years ago, which has lost the art of being silent with an open Bible and just waiting for God to speak. You've lost that. So I ask you this question: these questions as we conclude. Are you quick to listen to what God's Word has to say, quick to open it on a daily basis? Are you slow to speak about things you've not carefully and biblically thought through? Are you slow to get angry when God's Word confronts you in an attitude or action of sin? Are your spiritual ears clean to hear what God wants to say to you? And do you receive the word of God as a guest into your heart, honored and ready to be listened to? If you have these habits in your life, you will overcome temptation and live the righteous life. Would you join us as we sing a final song? And then I'm going to ask Pastor Alf if you would come and give the benediction afterwards.
1: Please stand if you can and join us. I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like Thine can be.
0: O God, we come as a people who need you every day, so to speak to us, that we may know your will, that we may be guided into your fullness and your richness and your glory, not only in this life, but in the life to come now and forevermore. Amen.